0: Hi, I'm Meredith Roden, and I'm the host of the Hatchets Weekly Podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. It's the week after campus turmoil over University President Thomas LeBlanc's comments about divestment, and I'm here with Administration Editor Zach Schoenfeld to talk about how the Faculty Senate meeting went after this week. So, So, the Faculty Association, some of whom are on the Faculty Senate as well, made a statement condemning LeBlanc's video response. And so I thought it was going to be kind of an overthrow of, you know, LeBlanc just like yelling at each other about this. But actually, that's not what they talked about at all, because LeBlanc wasn't even there.
1: Yeah, so uh, President Lamolong, he does typically attend the faculty senate meetings. He wasn't there this month. He's actually down in Florida. He's doing uh, a a bunch of different community receptions with alumni around the country. And so he has been wrapping up a a tour down in Florida this week. And so he wasn't at the meeting. So there actually wasn't a single mention of, of that video or even fossil fuel divestment or anything that had that had bubbled up a few weeks ago.
0: But there was still conflict because the conflict that's been brewing about the enrollment reduction and other issues related to the strategic plan finally came to a boiling point with the resolution. Tell us what faculty were upset about.
1: Yeah, so this goes back all the way to the beginning of the academic year, where faculty once a year meet in what's called the faculty assembly, which is basically a time, almost like a a little bit of a faculty town hall and gathering for them all to get together. And at at this faculty assembly meeting, they passed a petition to examine a few different things. Uh, One of the main things about it was examining officials' plans to reduce the undergraduate population by nearly 20% while simultaneously increasing the proportion of STEM students to about 19% up to 30%. So that was one of the things uh, that the petition called for. They also requested data on the culture initiative and the university's partnership with the Disney Institute. Following the petition, the faculty sent a few months ago actually passed a resolution that created a whole special committee about all of this to investigate these this, all these different items that were laid out in the petition.
0: So that all led up to this point. So what was the action that was taken at the Faculty Senate meeting?
1: So the Faculty Senate passed a resolution that said that this enrollment plan, which they all refer to in shorthand as the 2030 plan, uh, did was, quote, inconsistent with established principles of shared governance faculty at the Faculty Senate meeting, uh, a lot of them expressed concerns that they feel that they have not been brought in to these conversations, both on the actual decision to make these enrollment changes, but also they're looking toward the future and the actual implementation of these changes over the next few years. A lot of faculty think that they should have a bigger voice in these decisions and that administrators are basically going about this without including them. So this resolution um, was really a lot of faculty want to, to basically make a statement um, to administrators that they want to be included and it even went as far to ask them to refrain from continuing to implement this 2030 plan until they talk to the Senate and the Senate has a much better understanding and basically consents uh, to, to moving forward with these plans because there were a lot of concerns from faculty that even beyond the process, they're concerned about the plans to reduce the undergraduate population.
0: Well, is that even possible for them to stop the implementation at this point?
1: That was a conversation that came up of what can they do, uh, and it's a little bit unclear. Looking forward, there's going to be another special meeting of the faculty assembly on February 25th, where these conversations, I'm sure, uh, will continue. Um, but there's still, right now, just the faculty are trying to express uh, their disappointment uh, that they, a lot of them, have not been brought into these conversations. They also feel that this the data that uh, led officials to make this decision has not been shared with them. Um, and it, you know the someone who, uh, Sarah Wagner a professor who's been helping leading this effort on behalf of the faculty um, said at one point that she has not seen any data that had led to a logical conclusion to support this 2030 enrollment plan so she's she's one of faculty uh, one member of the faculty who's just very concerned that there's that you know, we're basically going into this without a clear consensus of why we're doing this in the first place
0: well and University President Thomas LeBlanc wasn't there at the meeting, but there were members of the administration. How did they respond to this?
1: Yeah, so we interviewed the provost, Brian Blake, who, of course, uh, just, he arrived in November after the decision for these enrollment changes was made, but I asked him about this and I uh, and I asked him, you know, if he was concerned at all about uh, the, the voice of faculty in these decisions, and he and he told me that, that faculty maybe should have had a bigger voice, um, but he's hoping that they, you know... You know, continue as, as officials look toward implementing this plan that basically they want to all work together as a team. But faculty, seem, a lot of them still seem to be unsatisfied with the role that they've had.
0: Is the administration getting worried about at this point just like the appearance of it all? Because it's really a majority of people on the faculty senate who are concerned about this and have this issue with the administration.
1: The administration seems to continue moving forward with these plans. The strategic planning process which is going on, the charges of some of the committees actually, they build in an assumption that we are going to reduce the undergraduate population by nearly 20%. There's no indication from administrators that they want to go away from this plan. However, they have told us um, a few different times now that they are going to, as we go along with actually implementing this plan over the next five years or so, they'll look at the data as it comes in over these first few years. And if they realize that this isn't working and it's not everything they hope to be, they do say they will plan to pivot and actually change their plans based on how this the the actual results and outcomes of the next few years.
0: So where do we go from here? Obviously, the faculty assembly is having a special meeting to kind of address all of this, but like you said, this is not actually accomplishing anything other than really formalizing the faculty's complaints.
1: So when the faculty (laughs) assembly meets later this month, the end of February, they will consider a resolution that has been signed by 64 members of the faculty, that is a little bit similar to the resolution passed by the faculty senate, um, but you know one of the clauses in it it says that the faculty assembly will actually reject the premise of the 2030 plan, and they'll ex- and the resolution also states that they want to express their deep concerns for the plan, both on its impact on diversity. And also on the budget implications, we heard a lot of discussion at the faculty senate meeting that there's no necessarily a clear answer on how much this is going to cost the university. We've heard figures thrown around of about 64000000 million. We've heard $80 million. So it seems to be somewhere in that range. But from some faculty, there seems to be still some confusion about exactly the impacts about this on the university's finances.
0: So not only were faculty angry about this strategic plan process, they were also upset about Uh, announcements related to the culture initiative that the university has been trying to implement over the past couple of years. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah, so as part of this petition that was created back in October for the faculty assembly meeting, one of the items was specifically related to the culture initiative. So GW has partnered with the Disney Institute um, to help them facilitate the process of improving GW's what they're calling institutional culture. And so there's been concerns ever since this partnership started from some faculty surrounding the cost of this partnership. Um, they first did a survey of all the faculty, but now it's an extended partnership that'll last um, for about another year or so. Um, and Disney is helping facilitate this initiative. And so as part of the, uh, as part of the faculty assembly petition, um, one of the things that it called on faculty senate committees to do was to investigate the cost of this partnership and request that data. And these committees came back and requested the information, um, but the administrators declined to provide it to them. And they're saying that under contractual obligations with the Disney Institute, they're actually not allowed to disclose the amount that the university is paying the Disney Institute for their help. But there are still definitely some un- uh, unresolved concerns from faculty not knowing the amount of that cost.
0: Well, thanks, Zach, for the rundown of everything that we missed Thanks for having me our culture segment we're talking about a new app that
2: was developed by an alumna. Sydney can you tell us more about what this app does? So alumna Miriam Neustrat created the app Critter Needs, and it helps to build empathy towards animals. So what does the app actually do? It's a gaming app so kids can play it and there's three levels where you learn different skills about how to treat animals and the correct ways to prevent things like animal abuse I had a game when I was, like, in middle school. There was a game where you could, like, care for your different pets and things like that. So is it like that, or is it more more educational? I would say it's more educational than that. So it's not kind of like your DS, like, let's feed the dogs kind of thing. Yeah, that's what I, totally I was thinking did. of, yeah. Yeah, um, it has, like, a little more of an educational element to it. Um, but I can walk you through some of the levels. So the first one um, teaches users that humans rely on animals for food, labor, and companionship. Through this, you match tiles. Uh, So for example, there would be like a dog tile and a protection tile, and then you pair those together so you learn like dogs provide protection, and then other things like cows provide milk, so you would match those tiles together. So do we know anything about how effective this actually is? It recently launched, so there hasn't been a lot of data about um, how many downloads or anything like that. But a new Surratt's company has been producing a lot of these social impact apps to try to teach people. What are some of the other
0: kinds of apps that this company has produced?
2: So the company, which is called GRID, it stands for Gaming Revolution for Inspiring Development. So in 2018, the company launched an app called Mohim, which was, it aims to erase the stigma attached to periods. So through this app, people could learn more about periods and try to get rid of all of the misconceptions and weird things around it. So how did Newsrat come up with this particular idea? So she said that when she came across a social media post in 2018, revealing an act of animal cruelty against a donkey in Pakistan. She knew she had to act and make a difference. People were brutally beating the donkey as part of a political statement, and she just decided that she really needed to take her company or use her company and make an app to combat abuse.
0: So this app just launched. Are there any upcoming games?
2: Yeah, so the Grid team is also working on games about climate change, financial literacy, and skills development. Well, thanks, Sydney.
0: Thank you. That's all for this week. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by Meredith Roten and features culture editor, Sydney Lee. This podcast is produced by podcast host, Meredith Roten. Music is produced by Oak Studio. And a special thanks this week to Zach Schoenfeld for joining us.